Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Last week, we kicked off our new teaching series called Love Alive, and we're going to spend the next couple of months working our way through a set of teachings that were first written by John, the close friend of Jesus. Last week, we saw that through the incarnation, Jesus drew so close that we, like John, are able to lean right up against him and unashamedly describe ourselves as disciples whom Jesus loves. And so as we continue the conversation today, can I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Let's stand together. We're going to read from uh, 1 John chapter 2 and starting at verse 12. Come, Holy Spirit. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord, given to us so that we may know the love of the Father, may practice the way of the Son, and be filled over and over and over again by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. You can grab a seat. Can I encourage you to keep your Bibles open today as you track with the teaching? As we talked about last Sunday, John is leading a set of house churches in and around the city of Ephesus. And these churches had faced a crisis moment because a group of folks were spreading some lies, some fake news about Jesus and about the nature of following him. And John's desire for these churches is that they would just move beyond the silliness, move beyond the nonsense. They would mature beyond it because as they become more mature, they also become more loving. As we've talked about in recent weeks, the true mark of maturity in the kingdom of Jesus, well, it's love. The more mature we become, the more our love becomes alive. And John's desire for these churches is the same desire that any good pastor has for their churches. One of the greatest pastors ever, Paul, he puts it best whenever he writes to a number of churches also in and around the same city of Ephesus. And he would say that the church is flourishing whenever in Ephesians 4 he says this, we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's son. And get this, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. Churches are to be communities who grow, right? We all know that. But whenever we think about growth in the church, we think about churches growing large, when in fact, churches are primarily to grow up. We're to grow up, becoming like Jesus in every respect. Now, this takes a bit of time, right? Becoming mature, becoming a mature church, it doesn't happen instantly. There's a process behind it. Just like how in our lives, following Jesus is a bit like a process too. But none of us like process. Last week, I was wanting to watch an episode of The Office on Netflix. 
and I hit the button, and the spinning wheel, wheel of death kind of came up for about 10 seconds, and I started to get really, really annoyed. And then I took a step back and realized, whenever I wanted to watch something, usually it involved me jumping in my parents' car and them driving to Extravision, and then you would have looked around all the films for about 45 minutes, and then you would have drove home, and then you would have had to have another 45-minute conversation around the movie that you wanted to watch, and then you would have watched the movie. 10 seconds isn't that bad of a deal, right? We don't like process. We like things to happen instantly. We like things to happen quick and instantaneous. We love the destination, but we don't really like the process, unlike Jesus. As you've heard us say so many times from here, we believe that God seems to operate at two speeds. He moves suddenly, and we love that around here. But most often, God moves slowly, and we need to begin to learn to trust in the slow work of God. As Robert Mulholland would say, Gareth, I'm going to flick this slide up, the Christian journey is an intentional and continual commitment to a lifelong process of growth towards wholeness in Christ. It is for this purpose that God is present and active in every moment of our lives. Notice the word journey. Mulholland goes on to say that life with Jesus is a journey that unfolds through an increasingly faithful response to the one whose purpose shapes our path whose grace redeems our detours, whose power liberates us from crippling bondages of the prior journey like we talked about last week, and whose transforming presence meets us at every turn of the road. Life with Jesus is a lifelong journey. It's a pilgrimage. It's a pilgrimage towards maturity. A few years back, Emma and I took ourselves off to the north of Spain to journey along the ancient pilgrimage paths known as the Camino de Santiago. And we took ourselves off because there's some stuff going on in our lives and we needed some space. We needed some space to process. We needed some space to pray, to pray together, to meet with Jesus, but also to look into the future and to see what he was inviting us into. It was such a formative moment as we slowly walked along the paths of the Camino. Now, the thing about the Camino is I didn't bring a map with me because you don't need one. All the way from where you start to your destination, which is this cathedral in a city called Santiago de Compostela, it's marked out by way markings. Way markings that look like this. As the shell points in a direction, you know that you're supposed to head in this direction. Now, it's important for me to say, I didn't nick this. Like, there's not a bunch of pilgrims, like, where the France am I? You kind of working their way through the Camino. That's not the case, honestly, trust me. Now, along the way, I had the same experience over and over and over again, where I'd be walking along realizing, Flip, I hadn't seen a shell way marking in a really long time. I'd start to panic. I'd be thinking, Flip, am I on the right path? Have I lost? Like, where am I? But usually, whenever that happened, only a couple of steps down the road, I would be able to see this way marking. And I'd be able to locate myself. I'd be able to see, okay, this is where I am. I'm making some good progress along the right path. It's really helpful for us to know where we are on our journey, right? To know where we are. Because otherwise, we can find ourselves getting a little bit lost or a little bit stuck. And so in the thick of this crisis moment, John writes to these churches, highlighting a series of way markings to help them find out where they are on the journey, the journey towards maturity, and to bless them with a sense of confidence so that they're able to say, I know that I'm making some good progress along the right path. And he does this 
by highlighting three different kinds of groups of people who would have made up the churches, three different groups of people who make up our church and every single church that is alive. We read about them earlier in our teaching text. And just a slight side note, but an important side note, it's important for us to remember that John is writing into a specific context. So his language is a bit blokey, right, whenever we read this in chapter 2. But as Wesley and as so many others would point out, the intention of these categories is for both men and women. The three different groups that John highlights, they're children, they're those who are emerging into adulthood, and they're also elders. Now, one way for us to look at these categories is for us to think of them as different physical age groups. But as John Stott would point out, John is highlighting three different stages of the spiritual pilgrimage. Because so often we can think that maturity in Jesus, it comes with age, right? Like the longer that we've been a Christian or the more times that we've been at church, the more mature that we are. But that is not necessarily the case. John is saying something very different here. He's saying that maturity has got way more to do with stage than it has to do with age. It's got everything to do with the fruit of somebody's life as they learn to abide in Jesus. And so for John, there are three stages of the spiritual pilgrimage. Stage one, children, these are my favorite people. They're those who have recently come to experience Jesus' love for the very first time. Stage two, those who emerge into adulthood. These are developing Christians, those who are intentionally practicing the way of Jesus in the, in the, the context of their lives. And then there's stage three, elders, or as we would say in our tradition, spiritual mothers and fathers. Those who are able to look back over a life satisfied knowing that they have lived with a long obedience in the same direction. This is a really simple but really helpful framework for us. It helps us to see what stage we are at in the spiritual journey, what season of life we find ourselves in as we learn to become more like Jesus. And I think that knowing our location, our stage on the path is really helpful for a number of reasons. Number one, whenever we begin to see what stage we're at on the journey, we can better live into that stage. So often, our life with Jesus, it runs on the fumes of nostalgia, the glory days of the past. Or we can find ourselves deferring our faith, thinking I'll properly follow Jesus once this thing happens or once I get over that. But instead, John's inviting us to see that we are able to name our stage in the spiritual journey and encounter Jesus right where we are. Number two, Ronald Rollheiser would write that if we don't name our stage of the journey, we can hinder our growth. Because on one hand, we can try to take on too much whenever we're not ready for it. And on the other hand, we don't take on enough, especially whenever we're ready for it. As you can tell, I lift a lot of weights. I don't at all. Actually, that's a complete, complete lie. But if I, as a proper weakling, try to lift a weight that I am not ready for, I'll hurt myself. I need to check myself before I wreck myself. But if I am strong and I try to lift the kind of weights that Stu Bothwell should really be lifting, I get a bit flabby around the edges, right? It's important for us to know where we are so that we are able to take the right weight of following after Jesus. Do you get me there? Number three, knowing our location on the journey helps us to see areas in which we can grow. And number four, we're never to journey this pilgrimage alone. We're to do it in community. This is how a community grows in maturity and into love. Whenever you look out for one another, 
Whenever you realize, man, I've got some serious growing up to do and I could do with some help. And so you're able to approach a mother or father in the faith. Or if you are a mother or father in the faith and you see a newborn in the faith struggling with something, you go and approach that person saying, I know that you're stuck, but I've been here before and I know the way on. So let me help you along the way. We get to journey this together in community. Now, before I dive into this really briefly, two quick caveats. The first thing I want to say is this. I'm going to nick this from Ruth Healy Barton. She says this. One of the main lessons we learn on the spiritual journey is that God is not in any particular hurry to get us to the promised land. He's much more concerned about the transforming work that he is doing in us to prepare us for greater responsibilities, and I love this, of freedom living. We can't microwave our faith. We're invited into a slow-cooked spirituality. We're invited into a process, a journey, a pilgrimage, and it takes some time. Now, we could step back and think of these stages like levels in a game, right? Our competitive spirit kicks in, thinking we need to rush through to the next level, but that is not the pace of God. He walks with us at three miles an hour. He slows us down and invites us into deep transformation so that we can live freely and live lightly. Second thing, I don't want you to mishear me today. Please, whatever you do, don't mishear me and look at these stages through the lens of guilt or shame or comparison, thinking, man, I should be well down the path, but I'm here and I feel wicked about it. Don't hear that. Instead, please hear that with every step comes an invitation from Jesus. Wherever you find yourself on the journey, Jesus comes to us with the words of invitation, come and follow me. So let me take each of these stages really briefly in turn. In verse 12 and in verse 14, turn there with me, John writes to dear children, to those who are experiencing two things in their lives, grace and joy. They're experiencing an intimate relationship with the Father for the first time. This stage is all about identity. It's really similar to what we talked about last week. Newborns experiencing new life, wrapping their heads around the truth that they are loved by the Father just as much as Jesus is loved by the Father. It's a stage full of joy and newness and excitement. I love that in this community, there are many people who find themselves in this stage. I love that. And yet I long for so many more people to enter into this space. But while the first steps of the journey are to be enjoyed, treasured, savored, we're not supposed to camp out there forever. Because up ahead, there is commitment, there's responsibility, there's cost and sacrifice. And so because of that, it is tempting to just stick around this stage forever. But it becomes a little bit like living with your parents whenever you're way too old to be living with your parents. I know it's cozy, but it's flipping weird, right? So it's important for us to not stay camped out of this space. Stick around here too long, and your faith can become a little bit self-centered, a bit consumeristic. In this space, we haven't learned to trust Jesus with everything, so whenever life hits, our foundation gets a little bit shaky. And if our identity doesn't lead to any investment, us actually putting it into practice, Life lived in this space gets quite boring after a while because the reality is, in the ways of Jesus, faith without works was dead. But if you stick around the space for too long also, an old enemy begins to creep up on you. 
It's the enemy of shame. We all struggle with things. We all struggle to get over them. And yet, particularly if you're in this stage, you can find yourself asking one question, why can't I get over this thing? That's the question of the young. We make it all about what we need to do to get out of it. Instead of recognizing that with Jesus, as we move forward with him, new horizons of grace just open up for us every step of the way. The focus of the mature is not fixating on the question, man, what have I done? But with an understanding that everything is grace, that the unfailing love of the Lord, it is complete. The mature asks the question, well, in light of grace, Jesus, what can I now go and do? But there does come a moment. There comes a moment in the journey whenever we are to make a transition, a graduation from being young to becoming adults. There's a moment whenever we need to leave the family home. But there's one thing that we are to never leave behind, and it's our awareness that we are the beloved. This newness of life that we once felt, we are to stick it into our backpack and we are to take it wherever we go. Each stage of the journey is enfolded into the next. Where we've come from, it comes with us, especially the beginnings of grace. Because as John Wimber would say, the way in is also the way on. Now, the next stage is adulthood. This is the space whenever we truly learn to follow Jesus through discipleship. In verse 14, John writes to those who are in this stage, saying that the word of God lives in them. And John is repeating here what he said earlier in verse 5. And by the word of God, John means that really what he's teaching there is the commands of Jesus, what Jesus taught us to do. He wants us to see that love for God, it comes alive whenever we take the teachings of Jesus and we put them into practice. Here John is showing us that those who are moving into greater depths of maturity, they are those who, as John would say in verse 6, live as Jesus did. The maturing, they don't just like the teachings of Jesus. They don't see them as convenient or helpful. They don't use them as life hacks. They don't just believe the teachings of Jesus to be good. They are those who put them into practice, particularly whenever nobody is watching. As the great Dallas Willard would say, maturing disciples are those who are living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. You've, said, you've heard me say this so many times from this stage, but whenever we look at the lifestyle of Jesus, everything that he did, from healing the sick to Sabbathing, from discipling others to getting away with the Father, from signs and wonders to eating with outsiders, we do not see a legacy that's just to be admired and worshipped, but we see a lifestyle that we are invited to imitate. You can tell that you're truly maturing in Christ, if you're able to take a step back and take an honest but humble audit of your life and see a correlation between the lifestyle of the Gospels and between your own lifestyle, particularly whenever it comes to the ways of love. Because all of the teachings, all of the commands of Jesus, the entirety of his lifestyle and everything that he has invited us into, it can be summed up in one word, love. We grew up as we live a life of love. A life of love towards our brothers and sisters, as John talks about here, but also towards our enemies, to those on the margins, 
towards those that are difficult to love, towards those that we need to forgive. It's easy for us to love people that we like, right? But loving people whenever it costs, that is Jesus-like. That is maturity on show. And this is also the stage where whenever we follow Jesus, it costs us something. At times we stumble. At times we struggle to live a congruent life where the image that we present to the world and what we do behind the scenes, they kind of struggle to line up, right? And as we work through this attempt to live a holy, congruent life, we find that like parts of us, they kind of die off. But this is the stage, as Thomas Merton would say, that we are moving from the false self to the true self. This is the stage where we learn to live into the light. We learn to live freely and lightly, as the great philosopher Emma Bothwell would say, where we learn to be 100% fully ourselves, where we learn to come home to who we truly are. Younger disciples in the room, if you want to step into maturity and greater depths of it, can I encourage you, read through the Gospels and do it again and again and again and begin to put it into practice because that is to be your way of life particularly whenever it costs, particularly whenever you need to love. That is the invitation for you, to live the life of Jesus and to love well. And if you are in this stage of maturing in your faith, can I encourage you, keep walking. I love John's encouragement in verse 14 to those who find themselves in this stage. He says, you are strong. Now, we find ourselves in this space struggling through good days and dark nights, but as we step forward, energized by the victory of Jesus through his resurrection, we become resilient over the long haul. Moments of crisis don't need to knock us off the journey or force us out or make us disorientated. Instead, moments of crisis actually propel us further along the path. Finally, mothers and fathers, There'll come a moment on the journey whenever we begin to see our destination. This is the stage for the elders. It's also a stage of simplicity, a place of deep and intimate communion, where we, like John, would be able to say in verse 13 and 14, where we are able to say that we know Jesus. The mark of the mature, the truly mature in the way of Jesus, it comes with a sense of detachment, a sense of detachment from things that so often preoccupy our lives. Look at verse 15 with me. John says that the mature mothers and fathers, they no longer love the world. Now, it's important for me just to say what he means by world here. By world, John means the combination of things that pull us away from God. Things like a craving to succeed, lust, pride, possessions, power, money, things that we so often idolize and worship. But for the mature, the mothers and fathers of the faith, get around them and you will quickly see they don't give a monkeys about any of that stuff because they're living for something better. Actually, they're enjoying something better in that moment. They've already started living the resurrection that is to come. They're so close to Jesus that heaven is simply a continuation, a next step of the communion that they are experiencing now and they will live into this space forever. The mature mothers and fathers, they are grounded, no longer guarded. They can't help but give their lives away in love because the more that we grow up, 
the more that we mature, the more our lives are marked out by love. If we want to be a church whose love is alive, each of us must prioritize our own pilgrimage towards maturity. We're all interconnected. We're all bound together as a family. And so for us to become the most loving church that we can be, not just for us, but for this region that we love, we need you. I need you and you need me to keep journeying along Resurrection Road, particularly behind the scenes of our lives. That's the framework. Children, adults, and elders. And so let me ask you a question. Where would you truthfully place yourself along the path? If you had to name your stage, where would you place yourself? What season of life do you find yourself in? Now, remember, this is not a guilt thing. It's not a shame thing. It's not a comparison thing. Remember, in all seasons of life, Jesus is close, and every step comes with an invitation. But with that, it is really helpful for us to see how Jesus is wanting to encounter us specifically right now, in our season of life, to see also what we can be doing to practice his way and to journey further into maturity. It's helpful to locate ourselves, to know exactly where we are. Now, I think this is helpful generally because our imagination of progress so often centers around the lifestyle of the modern age, right? Our imagination gets formed by get the education, get the job, marry, get the mortgage, start a family, settle down, and faith sort of works itself out in between all of those things, right? But the kingdom, prophetic imagination, what God has invited each of us into, it really does center on this. Us learning to become more like Jesus. That is the core of it, the foundation of it, where everything else is built upon. But I also think that this is a helpful framework for us to specifically hold in mind right now. Because I, I know, just because I know, that the past 18 months has disrupted our faith. For many of us, not all of us, but for many of us. And some of us feel a bit disorientated, a bit dislocated, we feel a bit stuck, a bit lost. It's like that moment for me walking along the Camino thinking, Flip, am I even on the right path here anymore? I want you to know that if you find yourself in that kind of place, Jesus comes to you with an invitation this afternoon and says to you, come, follow me. Even in a sense of lostness, a sense of disorientation, you feel a bit stuck. Jesus says, come. Let me show you the way. All of us, each of us, we're not at our destination yet. None of us are at the end. None of us have reached the end of the road. There's still more path ahead for us. There is more of the God life for us to explore. There are more vistas of grace for us to venture into. Jesus is not done with any of you yet, so don't be done with him yet either. There's more of his transformation for us to experience, more of our life and our love to give away to others. We're to grow up, not stay here, not be stunted, but we're to grow up. And Jesus is not done with you. You're not done. 
I'm not done. There is way more path of the pilgrimage for me to enter. So can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, don't settle here. Don't stay here. This is not your destination. This is not your end point. Wherever you are, Jesus says to you, come, follow me. And all we need to do is put one foot in front of the other, take on his lifestyle, practice his love. And as we do that, our feet will get dustier and dustier as we stick close behind him every step of the way. Can I invite you to stand with me? I'd love to invite you to take a moment to pray just where you are. Along the Camino, you would always know that you're coming to a way marking whenever you would see a cairn, a pile of stones that would have been built up. As an act of prayer, pilgrims would carry a stone from way marking to way marking, from shell to shell, and they'd place it on a cairn so they were able to remind themselves that Jesus had been with them every single step of the way. I want to invite you all just to take a moment, and if you're comfortable, just close your eyes, just to kind of close off any distractions. It might be helpful just to take a few breaths in and out, just to be here. And I want to invite you just to take a moment, literally just 30 seconds, and begin just to pray prayers of gratitude, saying thank you to Jesus for his presence, for his witness, thanking him that he has been with you every step of the way. Just begin where you are, just to do that. Just thank Jesus for a moment. But as you placed a stone on a cairn, you weren't just supposed to stay there. And so you were supposed to pick up another stone and to keep on walking. And regardless of where you've been, regardless of whatever stage you find yourself in, we are all invited deeper into the ways of Jesus. And particularly for those of you who felt a little bit disorientated in your faith, a little bit lost, a little bit dislocated, I believe this is like a Karen moment for many of you. It's a moment to locate yourself. It's a moment to thank Jesus for where he's led you from. But this is a moment for you to pick up another stone and to keep on walking, to keep on moving, drawing closer and closer to him. And so with that, if you have felt dislocated, a bit lost, a bit stuck, and yet this morning you sense an invitation to move forward, you're hearing the call of Jesus saying, gently come follow me. And you wanna to respond to that. Can I invite you just to place your hands out in front of you, just as a simple posture of receiving. And I'd love to take a moment to pray for you. Do you join me in that?
Jesus, thank you that you've been with us every step of the way. Thank you that you've been our closest companion along the path. And yet right now, I pray for my brothers and sisters and I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. Bless them with a sense of your presence. And Lord, would you fill them with your life so that they may be able to practice your way of life every single day. Lord, help them to see right now that they are loved by Jesus just as much as the Father loves Jesus. That they're known and seen. And Lord, I pray that you bless them with a sense of confidence, a sense of assurance that they know where they are and they're making good progress because Jesus, you're right beside them. And so I just speak to a sense of shame, a sense of guilt. I speak against the lie of comparison that robs us of joy. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that my brothers and sisters would be able to encounter you right where they are. Not where they once were, not where they'll be in the future, but in this moment, in this season of their life, may they encounter you. So Lord, bless them fill their lives and lead them on. And for you, all of you, I want to bless you today with the truth and the understanding that Jesus will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He has been your closest companion along the path of life and he will be until you reach home. And so may each of you know fully alive in your hearts that you're loved and that Jesus is close by. May you trust him with all of your life and may you become more like him every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been so good to gather with each of you today. If you need any help along the road, you know where we are. I'm not saying I'm a mother or father in the faith, I've still got some way to go, but if I can help, I'd love to. Our team would love to help. I know so many people in this room that would love to help also. Let's lean on each other in this season. Let's practice the way of Jesus and become more like him.